1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today is usually Crossover Wednesday, uh, but as you may notice from the title, it is not going to be Crossover Wednesday today. It's going to be Crossover Thursday this week. Uh, sometimes schedules don't exactly line up exactly the same every week. So instead, today we're going to do a, a little bit of a mailbag and and talk touch on some of of the topics that you all wanted to talk about and some of these i think are really appropriate things to check in on uh here at you know kind of deep into the season now are well underway and first up comes a question from Skullman who says only two more outdoor road games versus winning teams are the Vikes going 12 and 4 love the optimism uh so that's not quite true the remaining road games are against the Cowboys and Lions those two are indoor but outdoor are the Chargers Chiefs and Seahawks obviously a game in LA is only gonna have so much weather in it but there's still like wind and all the other factors that you would typically associate with an outdoor game. And at any rate, those are all really challenging road games. I mean, every one of those teams has a legitimate shot at winning their division, had a legitimate shot or just won their division last year, except for the Lions. And the Lions might genuinely be the best team in the NFC North. A lot of really smart people have kind of said, you know, not committed to it, but said, hey, there's an argument to be made. And I do think that there's an argument to be made. And they might be the easiest team on the road the Vikings have to face. Honestly, like to project forward the rest of the season, it would be super impressive to go like three and two over the course of that stretch. And then look at the home games, you have Washington, Philly, the Broncos and then the three divisional home games. I actually think you can make a really good push there to go like 5 and 1, but let's go conservative, say they go 4 and 2 and you're sitting at 10 and 6. You'd have to basically sweep the rest of the home games, go 4 or, and go 3 and 2 on the road to hit that 12 and 4, but projecting the rest of the season, I think there are enough easy teams and I think we've seen the Vikings against easy teams to say that this season probably comes down to the last 2 weeks. Uh, at home against Green Bay and then Chicago, and you probably are going to be in a situation where like you need to win both to clinch a playoff spot. I-, I think that there's not a lot of permutations that like don't end up with that being how the season comes to an end for better or worse. Next one comes from Nine Black to Blue, who says there's been a fair amount of mostly bad press so far this year. What are the takes that the national press is getting wrong? And who do you want to call out for particularly bad takes? So I don't want to call anybody out, I think that's kind of lame. But there is one take that I kind of want to call out. Um, It's been super prominent in specifically like Vikings media. It's been a a little bit whispery in the national circle, although most of the national media is focusing elsewhere for this type of prediction, but it's the fire Mike Zimmer take. I've, you know, kind of hinted at, at... points and bits throughout this show, uh, throughout the season, that, hey, you know, that's kind of a really stupid idea, but let me just kind of describe it. The the reason I really wanted to bring this up is because there's some news nationally. Jay Gruden got fired from Washington, and now they're starting their head coaching search by week five, which is just another kind of chapter to the nightmare season that they're having. Over there, and since Jay Gruden was hired the same year as Mike Zimmer, it kind of gives us an interesting little like point of comparison where we can actually look at you know how Mike Zimmer did, how Gruden did, and just kind of compare the two and see okay how close is Mike Zimmer really to the threshold that Jay Gruden just now crossed? And and Jay Gruden's career followed a very similar pattern. Once you get past like year three as a head coach, getting fired is kind of hard. Getting fired for mediocrity is just about impossible. Uh, And and I know that that's really frustrating to a lot of people because there's this kind of feeling that if you go eight and eight every year, you'll never get a good enough draft pick. You'll never be able to like climb out of this, like purgatory is the way that people describe it. I kind of disagree. I think draft positions a little bit overrated. I, I think that sometimes the best player in the draft doesn't even go in the first round, let alone at the top of the first round. But even then, I mean, the Ravens got Lamar Jackson at 30. The Cowboys got their Dak Prescott at the fourth round. And there are always options to do what like the Texans and Chiefs did, you know, to trade up, get your guy. Uh, and it all depends on kind of how the, the draft board falls, where you end up in the order and stuff. But there's always ways to like manipulate, and maneuver and go find your person. If you think the only way to success in the NFL is picking a quarterback number one overall, then I, I think that you need to open your mind a little bit. I think the teams that are consistently success, I mean, the Patriots are like the best kind of uh, debunking example to this whole thing, right? Like, they pick in the bottom five of the draft every year because they're always good, and yet somehow they continue to always be good because they do all the other stuff very smart, and they also can manipulate draft picks and manipulate, like, player acquisition really, really well. And, of course, you know, the difference between the first pick and the 16th pick does have a lot of value, but I don't think that you know, tearing apart your whole team is worth it. I mean, I look at like what's happening in Miami and I I don't think that what's going on there is going to breed success for a really, really long time. And I think by the time Miami is at least like contending again, everybody involved in this tank is going to be long gone. We saw the same thing happen with the Browns and their tank wasn't nearly as chaotic or, you know, destructive to the franchises. I mean, this is a dark chapter in Miami Dolphins history. So all that is to kind of like help describe why, you know, going eight and eight isn't going to get your coach fired, especially because like teams don't view, oh, we went eight and eight. Looks like we're doomed forever to go eight and eight forever. No, they view it as, ah, man, if we could only squeezed out two more wins, we would have had a shot in the playoffs. So they're going to attack the offseason and, you know, plugging holes and trying to figure out, you know, what puts us over the top rather than ah, we just we, we've hit our ceiling. Looks like we have to tear it all down. Nobody in the NFL is ever really going to think that way. And so I don't think it's a productive exercise to, like, ask or even expect a team to think that, well, you know, we've been eight and eight for too long. Jason Garrett went eight and eight for three years in a row. Sean Payton went eight and eight for three years in a row. Both of those coaches are still employed. Multiple consecutive five hundred seasons. I just don't really think it's enough. I mean, there have been coaches like Lovey Smith got fired after a ten and six season, but that was like ten years. So really, the the way that I see, or it was way shorter than it was more like seven years. But anyway, so the way I see coach firings is once you've gotten past that three year landmark, you either have to have a Catastrophic season. Uh, uh, Jeff Fisher going four and twelve kind of season. I mean, he was in in uh, St. Louis and L.A. for like four years. He was a coach for. Tennessee for forever, so he had that tenure advantage, and he went seven and nine. So much it became like a meme about him. But he had to go four and twelve before he actually got fired. If you look at like John Gruden, his stint with Tampa Bay, and he went and won a Super Bowl, and he got a whole bunch of years after that. He had to be I think he was like three and eight when he got fired. Like it has to be a really bad season. So four the Vikings to genuinely be considering Mike Zimmer, assuming that they're following all these other plans, to genuinely be considering, like, firing Mike Zimmer and going after, like, Lincoln Riley or whoever the hot name is, the Vikings would have to drop, like, seven in a row. Like, it would have to get really, really bad where they are 4-10 and ten headed into the last couple of games of the season and everything is just futility and Diggs is holding out. Like, everything would have to get so much worse than it already is. Right now, the way the Vikings are looking at being 500, or uh, now they're over 500, but the way that they're looking about being that team that hovers around 500 is, man, if we could just string a couple together and get ahead of this pace, now we have a thing. They, they view it as we are almost there, not... You know, we are almost there, and this final gap is completely uncrossable, so let's tear it all down. I just don't see NFL teams ever really thinking like that. And beyond that, Mike Zimmer's a really good head coach. I I did an episode that was like, Mike Zimmer's a good coach. But I think he has—so he has the highest winning percentage, and it's not even close, among the class of 2014 coaching hires. And now only he and Bill O'Brien are left, both of whom have like won their division multiple times. He currently among active coaches has the eighth highest winning percentage since the year he was hired or, or the eighth highest winning percentage, just like as a, as a rate stat. And he has one of the highest floors in the league. And that's the thing about Mike Zimmer. His bad year, his worst year was seven and nine. That was his first, his rookie year, which you can hardly blame him for, right? It's his first year. He inherited the worst defense ever and he got them back to average. It was like an impressive year, all things considered. Everything else has been, you know, it comes down to week 17 or week 16. Like, it's it's just, like, the, the team isn't mathematically eliminated in November like we're going to see in, like, Cincinnati, like we're going to see in Washington here. And I, I think that there are plenty of valid criticisms about Mike Zimmer. I mean, obviously, his time management strategy is really difficult to deal with his uh like love affair with the run game and wanting to run this old school thing which i actually don't think is like quite an accurate represent- representation i think he just has dalvin cook and gary kubiak and just wants to like run the offense through those assets which i guess is fair but like the vikings lead the league in second and long runs that's not a very good thing And I think the funniest one is when people say that the league has figured out his defense. Like, he's, like, third in the league in defensive EPA allowed. Like, the Vikings have a uh, good—the defense is as good as it always is. You just are used to it. You've gotten so used to it that any small lapse seems like a complete and total breakdown. And if you look elsewhere in the league, like, teams are moving the ball with ease— compared to the way that teams are moving the ball through the Vikings. They basically had one abysmal quarter against the the Packers, and everything else has been pretty acceptable. So, yeah, man, the fire Zimmer take is, is pretty asinine. Uh, But before I get to the rest of the questions, I wanted to spend a bunch of time on that one. Uh, I want to talk to you really quick about Blue Chew. Guys, you got to take your relationship seriously, and you have to work on it just like you would work on anything else. And that's why I want to introduce you to Blue Chew. It's the first chewable tablet of its kind. It has the same active ingredients as like Viagra and Cialis, so you know exactly what you're getting into here. But it is made right here in the USA, and it ships directly to your door. So that means you don't have to go to the pharmacy, wait in line, deal with the awkwardness. It's shipped in a nice, discreet package. So you know, there's nothing weird. And since it's a chewable, it kicks in twice as fast as any pill. So when the moment's right, you don't have to wait around for a pill to kick in. Blue Chew isn't just for like men of a certain age who can't, you know, perform the way they used to. This is for anybody who's looking to engage in a little bit of self-improvement and who can say no to that. So go to bluechew.com right now. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com right now. Enter code Locked On at checkout and you can try it for free. That's bluechew.com, promo code Locked On at checkout.
0: masterclass or at least your time at home masterclass.com slash P E R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdown slash offers that's lockdownpodcastcom slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning into lockdown podcast network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing.
1: Next question comes from Kurt Nubemeyer, who asks, in a universe where the Vikings trade digs at the end of the season, which, please know, I agree, Kurt, do you see ways the Vikings could still benefit from it and actually end up with an improved offense next year? So I'm sure that I could, like, go through, and I will in a second here, like, go through the steps that it would require for that to be the case, where you trade digs away and end up winning the trade. I think that that's kind of what happened with the Percy Harvin trade, right? You ended up getting more back in return than Harvin himself was worth and you ended up getting a really valuable player with those draft picks in Xavier Rhodes who ends up being like this huge contributor this key player for like six years so you probably can't construct a trade that's just for draft picks right because the the Vikings offense would immediately sputter your wide receiver two would be BC Johnson that's just kind of not acceptable and and you you know the, the defenses could just like bracket Adam Thielen and load the box and there's really nothing the Vikings could do about it they just don't have the firepower to overcome that. And you can't do that right now because you'd leave digs one-on-one all the time and that's just begging to get shellacked. So you probably get a player back. But here's the kicker. With uh, with Diggs' contract and all the dead money that would hit in 2020, I talked about that in a previous episode, it would be really hard to keep that player, whatever veteran you get back, beyond just this year. So either you're getting a better player back for Stefan Diggs, and nobody's going to do that, right? Nobody is going to to give away Julio Jones to get you know Stefan Diggs in return. That's not how... Trades work, right? It's, it takes two to tango. So it would have to be, you know, get rid of Stefan Diggs for perhaps a lesser player and some draft capital. So essentially what would need to happen is you would need to find a way to construct that trade, get the draft pick back. Then you need to hit on the draft pick because if you miss on the draft pick, then this whole thing falls apart. Like there's a lot of layers that need to go right. Right. And if any of them go wrong, the trade falls apart and, you know, the Vikings end up getting the short end of it, which is why, you know, even though like a ton of teams have called when these rumors were swirling going, hey, you know, what's the price for digs? The Vikings basically hung up on them there's very few scenarios in which you get a Percy Harvin style deal from Stefan Diggs just because of the way things are constructed. Now wait three years when his contract has less guarantees on it and you're taking less of a hit and Diggs is a little bit older and stuff and maybe we can start talking there but then he's going to be a little bit older and and you know the the calculus is completely different over there and by the way you've gotten three more years out of Diggs so that's kind of not really the discussion we're having right now. The there is not going to be a Diggs trade. I've described this in, in pretty great detail. There's not going to be a digs trade. If you've paid any attention to the news cycle, you would understand that the digs trade is not happening and, and it's all pretty much smoke at this point next up comes from Vike's rule who asks which player on another team would you be comfortable trading our first round pick for right now in a trade that would make sense and is agreed to for both teams no like first for Aaron Donald trade where the Rams obviously say no so this is a really tough one because my, my answer my cop-out answer is I don't think that there is one I don't think anybody who is worth a first round pick can fit under the Vikings cap right now they have like no cap space to speak of at all thanks to all of the roster you know bumping up and down and and signings like getting Treadwell back and stuff like Josh Doxson. Actually, wait, uh, the Treadwell signing was Captain Nutri- But anyways, they don't have a lot of cap space. So, you know, trading for somebody's veteran guy, you know, doing the like trade for like Minka Fitzpatrick or something is a little bit difficult because he's on a first round, you know, big time contract. So it needs to be somebody's like diamond in the rough that they don't know about yet or somebody that, you know, they spent less than a first on. So you can say like, hey, flip him for a profit right now. So I'm going to say DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf would be an amazing addition to the Vikings, obviously, right? He'd take the top off the defense. He's obviously breaking out and is excellent. I don't know if the Seahawks would do it for for like a third. I mean, they spent a third on him. Uh, I believe he was, like, the first person to go in the third round or something like that. Or maybe he was a late second. But either way, offering a first, you know, right away to flip it is probably tempting for the Seahawks. I still don't think they do it, but it's not obvious, so I'm going to go with that. And obviously it would help, you know, take the top off the defense for the Vikings and let Diggs and Thielen just, like, wreck all kinds of face underneath in a way that, like, Treadwell or BB or even BC Johnson can't really accomplish. Before I move on to some more questions, let's talk a little bit about Gambling. MyBookie is the number one online sports book out there. And with good reason. It's really easy to click around, find exactly what you want to bet on, place the bet you want, tells you like what you're going to make if you win. So it's really easy to kind of figure out if the bet is worth it or not. And when you win, they pay out right away. It matters just as much who you bet with as who you bet on. So don't miss out on an opportunity to get involved with MyBookie. So if you go to MyBookie.ag, that's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E E.ag. And you enter the promo code locked on when you sign up, you can actually get uh, myBookie to double your first deposit. So if you put in a hundred bucks to start, they will match with a hundred bucks of their own, free for you to use to gamble with. It's free gambling money. So don't waste any more time. Go to myBookie.ag. You guys know how these games are gonna end. Go make a buck off of it. Put some money where your mouth is, and when you win some bets, tweet them at me because I want to be proud of all you guys. Moving on, next question comes from Kai, who asks, Who needs to be locked up before free agency starts, and who are you comfortable with leaving? So I think locked up before free agency starts, I think Anthony Harris is a really easy one. Somebody else asked about Anthony Harris. He has basically continued his pace that he was on for the latter part of of last season. Uh, when he came in for Anderson Deho and he played as, like, a top-five safety in the league, he is... To the surprise of many, myself included, I really thought that was unsustainable. He's totally kept that pace and seems like he's just like a genuinely good bordering on Pro Bowl quality safety. Get that man locked up immediately. Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Wayne's and J. Ron Curse are all in contract years. I would love to keep Mackenzie Alexander and J. Ron Curse. I think you can keep them both just because of the rotational nature of their roles and the fact that, you know, the the Vikings have a little bit of, like, abundance of riches leverage over both of them. Like, hey, we have a bunch of DBs if you go, you know, go ahead, but we can offer you this. And, and I think that it can help, you know, get a deal done uh, that just extra leverage kind of helps. Uh, but Mackenzie Alexander would be, I think, a little bit different just because I know that his personality is is such that he would be more likely to like test things on the open market but I would love to if you can hang on to him and hang on to curse I'm a little bit okay with Lee letting Waynes walk even though I think he's a completely viable and starting quality corner I think the Vikings have enough starting quality corners I I would want them to like go draft somebody and kind of keep that developmental train running and keep feeding guys into that system which they will kind of whether or not they have Waynes um, but I think the Vikings have shown, A, a really good ability to acquire defensive backs and a really good ability to develop defensive backs. I also think that Trey Waynes, for the contract that he will demand, is something that... I think the Vikings just like opportunity cost wise it's better if they go another direction and part of that opportunity cost is that I would predict that Trey Waynes goes out and gets a monster contract on the open market and gets the Vikings a third round compensatory pick in return which absolutely is part of that calculus. Make no mistake I'm a big Trey Waynes defender and I think he's a pretty good cornerback it's just a matter of, of you know what you can and can't afford and how you can construct a good defensive back room without breaking the bank which is really really strained right now I just don't see a world where they can hang on to Trey Waynes I think they would have had to do something in this past offseason instead of you know keeping like Anthony Barr or whatever and they made the choice that they made And now I think I would rather keep, like, if you keep Trey Waynes, for me, that means you probably have to lose two of uh, Harris, Curse, and Alexander, and I don't think that that's worth it. I guess maybe that's a better way to put it. So I would let Trey Waynes walk. I would be sad about it. I want all of those guys to stay as Vikings. I think they're all good players, Um, but part of the reason I'm letting Trey Waynes walk is because he's the most likely to net better draft picks in return, and therefore kind of soften that blow a little bit more than, like, Jaron Curse would. Next one comes from Abu, ABU, who asks, can you explain... Why Kirk seems to not notice open receivers running intermediate and deep routes, especially Diggs. I think Kirk should have Diggs or Thielen as his first read on every pass play, unless the play isn't designed for them. So probably that's true. That they, they probably one of the two is the the first read. Um, but reads in the NFL aren't typically, okay, go to Thielen, then go to Diggs, then go to BC Johnson, then go to Checkdown. It's more of like the route concept that you're running. And there's lots of incentives to put different players in different points in the route. If you're running a, a route concept that reads outside in, that's okay, but you might still want Thielen to be on the inside of that and therefore the second read because he'd be going up against a slot corner that's not as good, like the, the smash touchdown that we broke down on yesterday's episode. There are also like alert reads or, or backside reads. So you might have Diggs and Thielen running a particular route concept on one side of the field and that's your man beater. And then you maybe have a zone beater on the other side of the field. That's, you know, BC Johnson and maybe Kyle Rudolph or Rudolph and Smith are running the zone beater concept. So if the defense is giving you zone indicators, you might not even look at the side of the field with Diggs and Thielen on it because the route concept that they're running loses to zone. And that's how a lot of plays are constructed, where one side of the field is for man, one side of the field is for zone, or one side of the field is for, for middle of the field open, one side of the field is for middle of the field closed. Kind of looks like there there's a lot of different ways to construct a play. And, you know, your progression on that play isn't necessarily, okay, who's the best player and we'll start with them. A lot of it has to do with the way that 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 route concept is designed to attack the defense. And you might want to put a player like Thielen in a certain position, or a player like Diggs in a certain position to best use their talents, but it would be kind of silly to require that that position also be the one that's the first read on every play, because the first read on every play might not be the best use of Diggs and Thielen's talents. Best example I can think of is on, like, uh, a flood concept or a dagger concept. Both of those concepts involve clear-out-go routes. So you get a speedy, stupid guy, this was like Aldrick Robinson all the time, this is what Randy Moss at the end of his career in like San Francisco, uh, where you just have him run down the field, somebody has to carry that go route, and then that person is cleared out and the rest of the route concept happens underneath it. So a lot of the time those reads, this is a Norv Turner thing and the Eric Coriel and all that, a lot of times those reads will will say, hey, if he wins on that go route and he gets space, you watch for that very, very first because obviously if he wins on the go-route, you just heave that and screw everything that's that's going on. A lot of times that go-route will end up being one-on-one, and hey, maybe they just win, and you get a free 75-yard touchdown out of it. Look for that first. But it doesn't really make sense to put your best player on that go-route, because that's not going to happen very often. Like, when it does, go ahead and throw it and check for that first, but it's you're going to very often be, all right, yeah, no, he didn't win the go-route. Okay, now let's go to the actual route concept. And, you know, 80 90% of the time, you're going to want... Uh, to be running in the the dig route or the the crosser or whatever is like paired with that go route. And if you're gonna throw that eighty or ninety percent of the time, then you want your better player on that part of it, even though they're the second read. So with cousins, a lot of it is that he's uh, he's kind of uh, like Ron Burgundy, people compare him to Ron Burgundy all the time. He reads what's on the teleprompter, no matter what, right? I think that's like hilariously apt. And so if the teleprompter isn't telling him, hey, you know, Diggs is running a slant here and that's an alert for if they blitz or that's hot for if they blitz, then, you know, he's not going to throw to Diggs because the defense isn't telling him, you know, giving him the signals that make the robot inside of his brain say throw to Diggs. That is not a bad thing. Like, that's exactly what the coaches want you to do. There there are plenty of issues that I have with his decision-making, but I don't think he's like freelancing or going to the wrong read. The coaches are asking him to read certain plays. Now, if you want to, you know, design plays to manufacture touches to digs and Thielen, then allow me to introduce you to these like mirrored blaze out concepts or cross country concepts that they always run. The one of the first touchdowns of the season, I think are uh, in the Raiders game to Adam Thielen. That first touchdown came on a cross-country concept where both Diggs and Thielen run these really deep posts, and it essentially creates a conflict between two guys deep down the field. It's really good at beating like two safety looks. Now, the lack of targets is coming for a whole bunch of reasons. We've discussed them at length on this show. A lot of it has to do with pressure. A lot of this has to do with Kirk Cousins having bad habits that exacerbate pressure and that speed up the process of pressure, and there have been other times that are just kind of confusing. He just looks at the guy downfield and sees him open and decides not to pull the trigger. This is something his coach have talked to him about this is something that the media has widely criticized him for and we're all kind of scratching our heads about it but I think that often like the way that plays are designed are a little bit more complex than hey find Diggs and Thielen first and if they're not open then go to CJ that's not really how offensive playbooks work in the NFL from a play-to-play basis now there's going to be a lot of plays where yeah it is designed so that the first read is you know Stefan Diggs or is Adam Thielen but that's not going to happen all the time and so you just kind of have to, like, re- recognize that, hey, you know, more more throws are going to go to Kyle Rudolph and B.C. Johnson than you kind of wish if you were, like, utilizing Diggs and Thielen. Or maybe you're just salty because you have them in fantasy, in which case, carry on. Moving on, Arif Hassan asked me for my take on Creed. Can you take me higher? Uh, it's fine. It's Pretty good. I don't know, not really my style of music, but I don't have a problem with it. And the last one I'm gonna go with is a fun one. Swamp Sparrow asks, which Viking can eat the most McNuggets in one sitting? Uh, so obviously Lindval, right? Lindval, hungry. That's the easy choice here. Uh, I would not sleep on Julio Johnson. I would not sleep on Brian O'Neill, who consumes like 6,000 calories a day to keep up his weight. He's playing way above his like natural body weight. A lot of linemen do. Uh, Have you ever seen those pictures? If you follow like Matt Collar or anybody from Score North, they have Alex Boone on there now. Uh, and, and Alex Boone, he's been out of the league for like a year and a half and he looks like a completely different human. It's amazing how much weight these guys put on and keep on when they have to play on offensive line. That's like more than their like natural body. Like they will just fall right back out of it the second they're out of the league. For, Joe Thomas too. Joe Thomas has been out of the league for a couple of years. And he looks like your dad, like he just does not look like this big hefty giant could beat you up in an alleyway offensive lineman that we're used to seeing. And I also wouldn't put uh, this past Everson Griffin just because I think he had probably of like anybody has the most just like raw willpower. I don't know what, I mean, I'm sure guys like, you know, Daniil Hunter, and, and there are guys out there that maybe, like, work harder. Laquan Treadwell, I think, where it has, like, a, a stronger work ethic than, like, anyone. It's kind of been to his detriment, as this is, like, what how Mike Zimmer has described some of his problems. But, of course, he doesn't have the body type to handle it. So, I, I think, I, I think Linval has to be the answer. Like, I don't want to get too cute and, like, say somebody other than Linval, but there are some other candidates out there that might be competitive. So, there's a bunch more questions that I want to get to. Uh, I'm running out of time a little bit. Ah, screw it. I'm going to get to one more should the Vikings trade this is Bernie's first dog candidate uh okay should the Vikings trade for misused OJ Howard what compensation do you think it would take and is that a position of value given Rudolph's inability to create separation and mediocre blocking he's the perfect future complement to Irv's move tight end role so uh yeah I guess complementing a move tight end with another like athletic you know hyper talented you know receiving tight end I guess is is the way you know get your Zacherts and your your Dallas Goddard Um, but so the first thing I want to mention here is, is Rudolph, uh, Rudolph has really, really been unproductive. He has like 36 yards or something on six catches. A lot of his yards have come on manufactured tight end screens, which is very strange because he is just by like 40 time. And remember he ran this 40 in 2011, the slowest Viking on the, he's slower than Treadwell. He's slower than BB, like he's slower than everybody, like the slowest pass catcher, except maybe CJ Ham. So give, making him like the ball carrier on a on a tight end screen is really odd. I guess maybe it's because, you know, linebackers will play Kyle Rudolph a little further off knowing that they can close that ground a little bit quicker and therefore set up more room for the screen. That's like the only justification I can think for it. Um but yeah, Kyle Rudolph has been like super unproductive after signing that extension, which is kind of what I was worried about. And he hasn't been a stud blocking either. So his low stats are like he has been blocking a lot more this year and he, he'll he'll tell you that, right? People have asked him in the locker room, hey, you know, you haven't been getting the rock as much this year, this year. What do you think is up with that? And he's like, well, I mean, they've been asking me to block and I'm happy to do whatever the coaches do. And then he goes into political nonsense. Um, But even after you adjust for that, so there's a stat called yards per route run, which is exactly what it sounds. Take all the plays where they ran a route. So, you know, remove all the plays where everybody was blocking, throw them out of the sample. Let's just talk about the ones where you had an opportunity to get the target, like plays where it was a passing play and you were running a passing pattern. And let's see how productive we all are on that. So he hasn't had enough of those to like qualify on a bunch of the PFF tables like he doesn't meet the minimum routes run threshold because he's been blocking so much. So that's fair. But if you did extrapolate the the routes he did run, he would actually rank dead last 41st out of 41 tight ends. So it's been a remarkably unproductive season. So I definitely get like looking around for guys like OJ Howard. I don't think Tampa Bay wants to get rid of OJ Howard uh, because I think that, you know, teams don't necessarily think, like, they don't think that they're misusing him. They think that, ah, we can get him to learn what we want him to learn and then things will click and he'll become the guy that we drafted. Didn't he get drafted in, like, the top ten? So, and, and I'll admit, I don't know a ton about O.J. Howard or, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Vikings haven't played them in a couple years, so that's kind of the only reason that I ever get to, like, really deep dive into somebody else's team. Uh, so I don't know a ton about O.J. Howard. I know Cameron Brate's doing okay over there as well. But if you did, like, try to trade for O.J. Howard, I think somebody who's had a poor tenure who was a first-round pick, I don't think you need to give up a first-round pick for him. Um maybe you could get away with like a second or third and I, I certainly wouldn't hate that I, I do think that he would be a valuable asset on the Vikings I also think that if you did it you would probably have to include Kyle Rudolph in that trade because otherwise you just have too much tight end redundancy and it wouldn't make a lot of sense and plus you could make the price go like way down by including Kyle Rudolph in that trade I don't know maybe Kyle Rudolph for OJ Howard and some draft picks either way for whoever thinks that they're getting the raw end of that deal maybe would be a trade that like could work out and one that I think that I would be at least intrigued to study I wouldn't ru- write it off right away. Um, But I kind of am wary of a guy who was drafted top 10 and kind of hasn't done anything in three years being an upgrade on a guy that's, you know, been in the league and has a better body of work over, you know, the time that Rudolph has been in the league because he has had years and times where he's like very... Uh, athletic and and gets separation and wins contested catches and does all the, you know and has sticky hands and does all the things that you want that tight end to do. He's just not doing it right now, and I think the odds that like Kyle Rudolph, who's shown that ability in the past, like variance bounces back and he finds a way to be productive again. I think that's more likely than somebody like OJ Howard, who's never been productive and he's had a lot of chances to do so. Uh, you know, suddenly turning it around and showing us something we've never seen before. So I don't know if I would do it. I would definitely not, like, immediately write it off. I'd probably look into it if it happened and, like, do a whole thing on it. But, like, I don't think that I would make that trade of, like, Howard for Rudolph straight up. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. I snuck a little extra one in there. Thank you guys so much for listening. Tomorrow, uh, with any luck, we will have... Locked on Eagles on for Crossover Wednesday. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts or just ask your smart device to play podcast, Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow for Crossover Thursday. I I said Crossover Wednesday again. Crossover Thursday. And as always, Skull.
0: Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked on NBA network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune in to Locked Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Lockdown Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.